welcome to Radicals in Conversation, the monthly podcast from Pluto Press, one of the world's leading independent radical publishers. I'm your host, Chris Brown. Hope everybody's doing well. We're actually here today, not with a normal episode of Radicals in Conversation, but something of a special episode. And we're going to be discussing a very exciting new project that Pluto's been working on uh, with the Stuart Hall Foundation for the last several months. And that will be broadcast through the Radicals in Conversation podcast feed uh, very soon in spring 2023. And it's my pleasure to be joined on the call today by Orsod Malik and Gracie Mae Bradley. Um, Gracie may be familiar to listeners. She's appeared on this podcast before a couple of times, I think. And uh, yeah, we're very excited to be talking about a collaboration that Pluto has been working on for the last several months with the Stuart Hall Foundation and Gracie May Bradley. So yeah, also Gracie, hello, welcome to the show, and it's exciting to be here with you today. So yeah, also before we talk about the podcast itself, perhaps you could just tell us a little about who you are, what the foundation is, and the work that it does, and I suppose then about how this project ties in with that mission. I'll start with kind of giving some background about the foundation itself and the organization. So I'm the program curator at the foundation and have been for the last two and a half years. Uh, And the foundation was established back in 2015 by Stuart Hall's close family and friends. And since then, the foundation has been committed to public education, addressing urgent questions of race and inequality in culture and society. And we do that through talks and events and a range of different kinds of programming. During the pandemic, we really switched to kind of digital programming, which is, you know, why we decided to move into podcasts and digital outputs. We basically work through two strands, our public program, you know, talks, events, lectures, exhibitions, and that kind of thing. And then we also are building a growing network of Stuart Hall uh, scholars and and artists in residence as well. And uh, I think we're over about 70 scholars and fellows in our cohort, which is a really wonderful thing to be a part of. So the Locating Legacies podcast was developed with funding from Arts Council England. Arts Council have been supporting the foundation for a while now. So we're really, really pleased that they were able to um, help us bring this project to fruition. Yeah, you've already touched on it there. You've named the series as the Locating Legacies series. Yeah, could you say a little bit more about I suppose, how this podcast, which we're excited to be sharing with everybody, how that fits into the work that Stuart Hall Foundation does. You know, it's called Locating Legacies. Could you say a bit more about what we're all hoping to achieve with this podcast? Mm. So the purpose of the series kind of really aligns with our work trying to provide, you know, access to public education and and kind of the spirit of, of Stuart. So the podcast itself, the idea is to offer a kind of an online audio series that is dedicated to historical learning and nurturing critical dialogues. And the idea, this the name Locating Legacies comes from, I suppose, this way of trying to trace the reverberations of the past, to try and make sense and contextualize present day political formations. And I guess it's a way of thinking through how the past, present and the future are all kind of intertwined and entangled in a way that normally historical learning tries to compartmentalize different periods of times and different um, different historical events and historical moments. With the Locating Legacy series, the idea was to invite thinkers and people who work between academia, activism and the arts and think about ways to draw these kinds of connections as a way to trace how we've gotten to this particular conjuncture 
our work at the foundation is really focused on trying to, I guess, destabilize these boundaries between academia, activism and the arts and trying to actually bring people from these different fields and bring them all together in conversation and trying to find better questions or solutions to contemporary issues. Mm, yeah, definitely. And uh, we could say the same thing about what we try and do here at Pluto as well. So it's been really lovely to be working with Stuart Hall Foundation for the last several months on a sort of a shared goal in that sense. So let's uh, move on to you quickly, Gracie. I guess I know uh, time is short here today. Could you say a little bit about, you know, your background? What's your sort of political orientation, I suppose? When we sort of reached out into your DMs or whatever, why why were you keen to sort of take part in this project? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who am I? It's a big question for a weekday morning. Um, <laughs> I suppose in my background, you know, in, in every aspect, my background is really mixed. You know, my family are from a lot of different places. I come from a kind of family of people who care about and care for other people, you know, mental health nurses, teachers, therapists, youth workers, and so on. And I guess my kind of political formation has always happened hand in hand with a lot of reading because I am just a reader. It's what I love to do. I don't have a dogmatic political orientation. I don't have an ism as such, right? That's not how I situate myself. I suppose I would say like I do have philosophical orientations um, and I am a philosopher by training. And I suppose those orientations sit within abolition, black feminist theories of abolition and practices of abolition, uh, creolite, so that thread that runs from Franz Fanon, Aimé Césaire into Édouard Glissant. And it is really embarrassing to say, but I do just have to say it more often now, existentialism. I have just done and read way too much Camus, way too much Sartre. <laughs> I'm into giving the void its colour. Like that is where I am philosophically. And I suppose this invitation from the Stuart Hall Foundation, it landed in my inbox at a really interesting time because I was in a sabbatical year. Obviously, I've done a lot of very high-powered, high-profile NGO civil liberties work over the last decade. And I felt at the end of that year that I'd been kind of carrying around a load of little candles in the wind and the rain, trying to keep them alive, those bits of me that want to make art and write fiction and think really expansively about the kind of world that we could live in and, you know, be slow and reflective and not have all of the answers. So my sabbatical year was kind of the year of trying to put some of those candles down and let them just illuminate something. So the invitation came in that moment, but it also came... I think two days before I was due to have quite a major surgery. And so it was kind of this little thread that said, okay, Gracie, there's a really um, organized bit of you that your doctors think is quite melodramatic because you put all of your affairs in order and you know, you, you've said what kind of flowers you want at your funeral. Obviously it wasn't ever gonna happen, right? But I'd done all of that. And so this invitation was this little thread that said, actually, hang on a minute. You know, there's stuff that you need to do. There's conversations that you need to have, like you're actually not going anywhere. Don't be ridiculous. So it came at the confluence of, of those two things. And I think it was an invitation that left room for me to not have all of the answers, right? To learn a lot, 
to talk to people who'd done things that I admire and think are really interesting and to hear from them about what nourishes them and what they find exciting. And I think that having got to a point in my career where I was really senior and expected to be very programmatic and have the answers to everything. And I think also at a time where people just think that black women are just magically going to fix everything. It was really nice to have a different kind of invitation and a different kind of open, unfurling space to be in. Mm, that's really beautiful. As I say, it's been a really exciting project to work on and it sounds like it's been especially meaningful for you. So that's wonderful. Could you maybe tell us a bit more then about the the episodes in the series, you know, because it's a great roll call of people that you're in conversation with. Um, so, yeah, what is the format of these episodes? What can people expect on that front? Who are you speaking to? And what are the, some of the things that you're talking about? Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is such an exciting series you know, Orsod and colleagues at the foundation put a really, you know, amazing amount of work just into giving it some shape and thinking about what it should be. So we speak to some really exciting visionary thinkers and writers throughout the series. First, we have Kojo Koram, who is a good friend, a writer, academic and author of Uncommon Wealth. Second, Françoise Vergès. She's a writer, public educator, journalist, and is also the author of A Decolonial Feminism and a Feminist Theory of Violence. Third, we speak to Olafemi Otaiwo, who is a fellow philosopher, associate professor of philosophy at Georgetown University, and author of Elite Capture and Reconsidering Reparations. Fourth comes Vijay Prashad, who is the director of the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research and author of, among lots and lots of other works, Red Star Over the Third World. Fifth, we speak to Sita Balani, another friend. Sita's a writer, academic and author of Deadly and Slick, How Sex Makes Race in Postcolonial Britain. And last but not least, so exciting and not really needing any introduction at all, we have Ruthie Gilmore, abolitionist thinker and organiser and author of Golden Gulag and Abolition Geography. And so these are one-to-one conversations Many of them center kind of on a maybe one piece of work or one or two pieces of work. So I'm not necessarily in conversation with someone's whole over per se. We're quite focused. And, you know, some of these people are my good friends and my contemporaries. And some of these people have just decades of experience of doing the work and doing the thinking. So you'll see that there's different registers because, you know, when I'm speaking to Kojo Koram and Sita Balani, they're my friends and we've done political things together. We have a particular background and register and things in common. There are other conversations that I found extraordinarily intimidating, but I knew that I would, which is part of why I said yes. So, you know, speaking to Vijay Prashad, for example, right, I, I'm not someone who's read a lot of Marx. You know, my knowledge of liberation struggles in the global south is not what other people's knowledge is, right? So that was a conversation that I sweated through, but also <laughs> massively enjoyed. And then you have people that work in slightly different disciplines and speak in very different ways. So Françoise Vergès, you know, is quintessentially like really quite French in the way that she thinks and expresses herself and in her intellectual tradition, although, of course, massive drawing on the global south as well. And then Ruthie Gilmore, Ruthie Gilmore and actually Olafemi Otaiwo have, um, they think things through from the beginning and take you through in quite a programmatic way. And there's kind of a 
crescendo. Um, I didn't feel like I was chatting to either of them. So there's a huge amount of variety in the conversations, but you know, what we come back to in every single conversation and what we open with, in fact, is, you know, where is Stuart Hall? Where's the life and work of Stuart Hall, you know, in these thinkers' work, in these thinkers' lives, but also in the political phenomena that we're exploring together, you know, whether that's queering class politics, whether that's thinking about identity politics, whether that's um, feminism, decolonial feminisms, whether that's our analysis of... Uh, our contemporary great moving right show. Um, so that is kind of the consistent drumbeat that we always return to. And again, for me, you know, Stuart Hall, I was not explicitly familiar with his work before I started researching this podcast. Mm. Obviously his legacy is in the work of all of my contemporaries and in all of the political work that I've done today, but I hadn't had that time to sit down and actually engage with him deeply as a philosopher and as a thinker. And so that's something that really comes through in these conversations. Mm. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point, I guess, about how realizing the kind of the extent of his presence in the thinking of yeah our political contemporaries that's yeah a really interesting point yeah also do you you had a big hand in thinking up who we could invite on the podcast did you have anyone in mind sort of at the outset that you were very pleased that we sort of managed to get on board tell us some of your thoughts about you know the episodes that we've recorded and the people we've got attached to the project well first of all i think inviting gracie to come on board was just the best decision this show could have made, the series could have made, the project could have made. Because, I mean, even listening back to the episodes, the way that, you know, Gracie, that you're approaching each of these conversations, I think, with such kind of humility, but also, you know, a real criticality. And by criticality, I don't mean, you know, trying to find what the answer is or trying to uncover, you know, this a particular solution or a particular kind of antidote to something but rather it's in the questions it's finding more it's uncovering more and I think through each of these conversations there is that feeling of kind of not just your kind of excavation into these ideas whether it's all events whether it's the cold war or whether it's decolonial thinking or whether it's identity politics there's actually a feeling that you're both both parties you, you know you say that you are a bit and you know as anyone would I think speaking to a Vijay Prashad or <laughs> There is this feeling of, you know, that so much knowledge has been amassed by one person. So they're able to draw on so many areas. But still, even in that conversation, it felt like there was a camaraderie in trying to excavate the, these thinkings and trying to think about where the thinking comes from. That actually, you know, anti-colonial thinking doesn't just appear out of, you know, there isn't a book that will give you steps, you know, to understanding decolonial thinking or understanding Stuart Hall's thinking, you know, step by step. It's actually, it's all a process of excavation that can only be done through dialogue. I mean, inviting you to come along and you agreeing to come along, which was a huge relief for us. <laughs> um, we were very, very happy that you were able to come on board. So that that's the first thing. And I think it definitely had people in mind, I think, but whether they were going to be able to say yes or not was a whole other thing. So I think, you know, Chris, it was you suggesting names and 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 it, i don't know it just felt possible you know it felt you know we were like okay well ruth wilson gilmore which just seems so kind of unlikely especially within the time frame that mm -hmm. we were working in that that would come to fruition but but it did so i did you know the names to answer your question the name i definitely did have names in mind and i think all of those names came to fruition like i think they were all our first choice so we're really 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 happy that they came through but then uh, you know something on those speakers 
you know, Gracie, when you're talking about, you know, that a lot of them are your contemporaries or that it's been a mix kind of but this intergenerational mix, actually, and, and a transnational mix of people, which mm. has also been kind of that was the ideal. Find people who could speak from a variety of different perspectives, even though from the off, you know, if you're just looking at those names, you think, oh, well, all the politics match. But actually what was happening is that you were really getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, political orientations, political thinking, ideologies, isms, as you put it. So I just think it just turned out, <laughs> turned out really, really well from my perspective. And yeah, yeah, the conversations played out really nicely, I thought. Mm, yeah, definitely. Perhaps now would be a good time to play a clip from one of the episodes, just so that listeners can get a taste of the series, I suppose. Here's a section from episode one with Kojo Koram. I think that in 2016, what was notable was how unfamiliar and illiterate often the British public discourse was with ideas of racial justice and empire and legacies of empire and decolonization. You know, the very word decolonization, you know, you would speak to TV producers and they would think you were speaking, you know, Martian, like it was completely absurd to them. Or the, the, the concept that like people might find the statue of Cecil Rhodes to be something offensive, despite, you know, the kind of genocidal politics of this person. You know, people acted like you had two heads if you were like, maybe it might be nice, you know, if I could go and get a coffee in the morning without walking past a, a you know, a genocidal colonialist. Whilst I think that that definitely has shifted. And whilst there's obviously a bit of a frivolous culture war debate around revisiting history in the presence of historical figures in the public square. You know, is it destroying history or should there be a plaque put on it? You know, that's what the kind of new position is now that, oh no, well, you should explain the violent history of an Edward Colston or a Robert Mulligan or a Cecil Rhodes. You shouldn't pull down the statue. At least now I think there is an understanding that this is something that is intolerable to a large portion of the population. This is something that is you know, frankly strange. And the idea that Britain had a 400-year empire and there's this kind of complete public ignorance about where that empire stretched to, who it impacted, who were some of the major figures from it. Um, I think that that is something that has slightly changed over the last six years. But I think there's been a shift, I think, of tactics of opposition from blind ignorance and kind of dismissal of significance. You know, this idea of, well, why would anyone care? Why does it matter? No one even notices these statues. You know, that was the kind of position in 2016. Whilst I think now there's been a much more concentrated attempt to try and turn these type of conversations into this endless, relentless culture war to make it as frivolous and as kind of petty as possible to try and reduce claims about wrestling with Britain's colonial legacy to, you know, debates around, you know, well, should the BBC remove all episodes of Forty Towers, you know, should they sing Land of Hope and Glory at the end of the national proms, you know, there's a tactic of almost drowning us in frivolous conversations around race, empire and its legacy in order to minimise, I think, from the more substantive arguments, which is what, you know, people were really pushing back against in 2016 with the protests of Holloway Prison, you know, what is the treatment of black women in these type of institutions, in mental health institutions, in immigration detention centres like Yarlswood, in prisons like Holloway Prison, you know, what is the impact of the racial wealth gap? What is the impact of systems of, you know, colonial wealth extraction that impoverish 
populations across vast swathes of the globe today that still have that legacy in the aftermath of British Empire. You know, that kind of hard material changes that impact people's everyday lives, I think, has been dismissed a little bit as the media and the kind of political discourse has tried to focus much more on the more symbolic and you know, we can't be on a Stuart Hall platform whilst not recognising the power of the symbolic cultural. But I think there's been an attempt to try and push it into, you know, the most frivolous elements of that culture war discussion. I think that has been a tactic to try and distract against some of the very real mechanisms of sovereign violence that we were protesting against at the 2016 vigil at Holloway Prison for people like Sarah Reid. That was Kojo Koram speaking to Gracie Mae Bradley, and that was taken from episode one of the Locating Legacies podcast series. So we recorded these episodes uh, towards the tail end of 2022. So it was November and December is when we sat down with uh, various guests on the show. Um, so it was amidst, you know, the cost of living crisis, which obviously we're still in, uh, mass industrial action, which we're still facing. How do we think that, you know, coming back to the work of Stuart Hall can sort of help us reflect on and contextualise what's going on today and take political action now in 2023. Is there anything that you would pull out from what you've read or what you've heard the different speakers kind of bring up that you think is particularly helpful in that, yeah, contextualising work, I suppose? I guess what is right at the front of my mind as I mentioned earlier, it is the analysis in The Great Moving Right Show. You know, we opened this series in conversation with Kojo Koram and obviously only just in the wake, we were recording only just in the wake of whatever on earth Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng had just done. And, you know, Kojo had, you know, explicitly pulled out Stuart's analysis of the neoliberal right in analysing Liz Truss and her affinity with not affinity with, but, you know, actually the the parallels that we see between Liz Truss and Enoch Powell in actual fact, and Kojo is getting pilloried for that. And that's where this whole podcast starts. And that is our current predicament, right? Um, So I think there's something about the analysis in The Great Moving Right Show, but I think throughout his work, and I guess we get into this a bit in the discussion with Vijay Prashad, you know, I do see this... um, It's not a scepticism, but like Stuart Hall doesn't fit in the isms easily, right? Mm. There is a dogmatism insofar as there is in all of us who have political views about how the world should be, right? So there's a dogmatism, but it's not not kind of programmatic dogmatism. And there's an insistence on how power structures co-constitute one another, right? That we're not going to be able to tease out race from class, from gender liberation for you know like these things are going to come together these power structures act with one another and the only way out of our present predicament is to act together across all of those fronts and I think that Sita Balani put it really beautifully you know I think I gave her a slightly hackneyed phrase and something about solidarity across difference and she actually talks about reclamation of humanism right reclamation Mm, of universalism And so I think that is the thread that runs through Stuart's work, that scepticism of the isms. It's that recognition of the fight across multiple fronts. It's that co-constitution of power structures. And it's the way in which theory and action have to go hand in hand with one another. It's not enough to just, you know, make podcasts about things. But actually, we can't just 
act and not reflect and not be critical together and not be in dialogue with one another. Mm. I would say what Stuart's work is able to do is provide some nuance into things that seem incredibly complex, but he also doesn't allow us to sit within kind of oversimplifications of political relations. So I think that when we're thinking about the cost of living crisis, I think it's very easy to think about it as if it's a recent phenomenon. But what Stuart's work allows for, and I think actually a lot of the, the work that people you know involved in the podcast allows for, is a way to think actually this is a legacy of an economic project, of a historical project that's culminating in this moment. You know, And I think what Kojo was able to do when he talks about colonialism and then is able to kind of give people an avenue to kind of relating with colonialism, not as a distant thing that happened so, so long ago that we're now over, but actually that we're constantly living through the repercussions of history. We're constantly living through the repercussions of different political transactions and political decisions that were made as far back as we can think of. And I think what's interesting about the cost of living crisis, and I think this is something that striking workers uh, have such, you know, have really got a hold of, you know, as thinking about Thatcherism and and how Thatcherism is the specter of Thatcherism. It's not even a specter because it feels so material (laughs) that actually it's making these connections and then actually thinking of like, well, you arrive at this point where, well, then is this economic system sustainable? Is this eco- something that seems so natural just five years ago to people, to the majority of people, is now being questioned and scrutinized in a way that it wasn't before. But it's because I feel that we're able to see it as a long path to this particular point. And what Stuart helps us do is to contextualize, is to you know really position things in history. And I think if you ever read Familiar Stranger, it's an incredible piece of autobiographical work because what Stuart does is he doesn't start the story of his life with his birth or his parents or he actually starts it with you know Jamaica and its constitution its construction you know how how Jamaica came to be and he positions himself within history which i think is a really really incredible orientation because then what he's constantly doing throughout familiar strangers is is really thinking about how political relations influence your life you know and how everything is connected in that way. And I think that that's something that we can take from Stuart's work and apply to our daily politics is that there is always context. We are always positioned within a much larger narrative, within a much larger world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that comes through in the running order. We have on the surface quite uh, different themes, and yet it feels like a continuation of the same conversation between the episodes. So just to tie it all up for listeners, uh, it is a six-episode series called Locating Legacies. It'll be coming out through the Pluto Press Radicals and Conversation podcast RSS feed. So you don't need to do anything to get it. You'll just get the episodes if you're a subscriber. And the running order is as follows. We have first episode one with Kojo Karam discussing Stuart Hall's legacies, kind of the introductory episode. Episode two features Francoise Vergers talking about the politics of decolonization. Episode three is with Olafemi Otaiwo discussing identity politics. In episode four, we have Vijay Prashad talking about the Cold War. In episode five, Sita Bilani is talking about queering class politics. And finally, Ruth Wilson-Gilmore is in episode six discussing abolitionism and abolitionism in the British context as well. So there's a lot to look forward to. It's going to be a fantastic series. And as I say, it's coming very soon in the next few weeks. So do look out for it. So thank you to Gracie and also for taking the time to come on the show this morning to talk about the project. Uh, It's been really lovely to speak to you both again, and there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, no, it was absolutely a dream. Thank you so much for having me. I hope we can do it again in some way sometime. Yeah. 
We'll be back very soon with another episode of Radicals and Conversation and our next episode of Radicals and Conversation in-house. And of course, the Locating Legacies podcast series, uh, which is coming very soon. So stay tuned for that. Until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>